You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. And Tracy, we're going to have to start changing things up because someone yeah. at Capricorn said to me, you know, I can tell which is the second episode that you recorded because on the Saturday, because that's the episode that Tracy does an intro on. So I, I, like, I don't. Oh. Is this a is this a, a feature, a bug, or an Easter egg? I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know. I think that's they're, probably they're, fine. They're figuring us out, so we got to start changing things up a little bit. I mean, I do think all things considered, the uh, the intro music itself is. I mean, I'm a huge fan. Don't get me wrong. I have loved the intro music since we started using it when I came on. But it's definitely like the power walk while something explodes behind us music. And I do worry <laughs> that when some of our listeners had the chance to meet us face to face, they were like, oh. Yeah, because I don't know that the costuming quite lives up to. The, but know, that's so. why that's why everywhere I walked, I walked in slow motion so that they would Ooh, have that yeah. hero walk, you know, and they yeah. could hear the music in there. Yeah, their the head. soundtrack going when you're like coming up an escalator real slow. Yes. You got yeah. like the yeah, the shot really is at the top of the escalator, and you're just slowly emerging from the top of it. The exactly. gesturing that I'm doing works great on a podcast, by the way. Yes. Oh, it does. Really important. Yeah. <laughs> You know what else works great on a podcast? Guests. Guests work great on a podcast. We have with us this week, we have Mark Sabolowskis. And Mark Sabolowskis may not be a name known to you, but if you love tabletop RPGs, we're here to fix this for you. So, Mark, how's it going? Very good. Uh, great to be here. Okay. So, gotta ask, where does the idea for Return to the Stars come from? So tabletop SFRPG that is really overtly genre aware. <laughs> yes. Actually, it's there are two main influences. There is the Star Trek influence, the optimistic hopeful thing, mm. which is something I was desperate for um, maybe at some point in time when a prior president was elected. And I yeah. was coming back to Aresia just at about that inauguration and mm -hmm. there was so much hope about being with nerds and people who cared mm -hmm. about science and people who cared about taking care of each other uh mm -hmm. you know which is the best of fandom so mm -hmm. those two sort of like strains combined to help me make a, a very sort of sff fandom forward based uh role-playing game so I'm just going to throw it out there. There's a there's a cool meme going around that says that the the New York Times crossword did a a fun little thing where the clue was the better of two sci-fi franchises. And no matter what you put, if you put Star Wars or Star Trek, all the crossing clues worked. Mm -hmm. And yeah. and when you said Star Trek, it just reminded me of that because I thought that was pretty awesome because it, it can be, you know, it can get a little contentious. But to your point about, you know, Star Trek being, you know, very, very uplifting and everything, uh, imagine it's your first day on the ship and someone hands you the red shirt. Oh, uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you, you probably don't know yet. Like, you probably haven't heard. Well, you know, come on, red, I'm a fall, so red is very much my color, and, yeah. you know, people survive sometimes. Yeah, See, I mean, sometimes. It could, it could be several episodes before anybody calls you for an away team mission. I mean, you've got time. You know, I, I, and are there worse ways to go than being turned into a sort of hexagonal shape? <laughs> it's it's funny because I, I talk about the things that 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 
I, I was surrounded with as a child that today I don't want anything to do with, you know, and I, I always poke at country music because my, my family listened to a lot of country music, so I don't. But the other thing is I grew up in Fresno and mm-hmm. Bulldog country. So the Fresno State Bulldogs wore red, right? It was, mm-hmm. everything was red. And we ended up at, at those football games all the time because they were really cheap tickets. No, no offense, Fresno State, but they were really cheap tickets. And so we would always end up at Fresno State games. So I wore a lot of red growing mm-hmm. up and now I don't wear red at all. And, and I always joke that the you know, part of it is because I don't want to leave the house wearing red, but really it's just because I wore so much red as a kid. <laughs> it's a corrective measure. It yeah, is. I'm just carrying into adulthood here. Oh, I was just wondering, because uh, you asked about the, the crossword, did you have a, uh, a particular uh, way that you would go if you were asked that question? Oh, or, yeah, oh see, sides. that would be difficult. I, 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 I love both franchises. I do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, I've been a Star Trek nerd probably longer than I've been a Star Wars nerd. Mm-hmm. So I probably would have put Star Trek and not thought yeah. anything of it. So my, my answer is going to sound like I'm like kibitzing here, but I, I swear I'm being earnest. Like yeah. I grew up way more Star Wars literate. Like, I was going to say, Chronicles way... of Amber is not going to fit. So no, no, it doesn't else. work like that. Yeah, that's definitely like, can I, yeah, it's, you know, do you want, do you want, yeah, I, I was going to come up with an analogy there and it doesn't work. <laughs> anyway, forget it. Brain's not working this morning. But I grew up with like way more Star Wars literacy and way more Star Wars investment than I did with Star Trek. Uh, and I really only kind of broke the seal in my life of knowing more about Star Trek when I started dating the artist currently known as Husbeast. But, you know, that's it's been a while. Like he and I have, have been together for a very long time. We were 14 when we started seeing each other. And so... I've had plenty of time to come around on Star Trek. And and when I say come around, it makes it sound like I was reluctant in some way. I think for me, one of the major differences between the Star Trek experience of fandom and the Star Wars experience of fandom is while both fandoms can get pretty spiky, either at one another or within themselves, when Star Wars screws the pooch, it screws it so much bigger. Yeah. Like when Scar- when Star Wars fair. does does something dumb... It is so much dumber. And I think to some extent it's been because until recently it was entirely movies, you know, and until like the last 15 years or so when, when they started, you know, phasing in series through animation and now series through the Disney plus model and all that sort of stuff, everything was in movie format. And so therefore any stupid narrative thing they did looked so much bigger. Whereas I think with Star Trek, tons of movies, but it's primarily been driven by series all this time. And so when an individual episode or even a few episodes in an arc go in a narrative direction where you're like, what? It's more (laughs) forgivable. And you, you can almost to some extent edit that out of the corpus of what you choose to kind of consider your Trek experience. And so I think that's a major difference. I think Trek is more forgiving on its own fandoms you know, tolerances than, than, than Star Wars is. Well, it's also got that short story vibe that's coming in from how it was created. Mm-hmm. Very episodic, yeah. very much wanting to explore specific things in an episode, which is Monster a, of the week. Yeah. It could just be, Hey, here's the salt vampire, or it could be, we want to explore racism or whatever, but you, yeah. you've got something which kind of was a bit against the the mold of prestige tv and wanting series but it's almost kind of refreshing now yeah. Yeah. because we're getting so much oh i have to binge watch this and 
I mean, I love the way things are interconnected, but sometimes it's just being satisfied to just like get something that's tied up in a bow. And yeah. uh, so I, I, I find that it goes either way for me. Uh, I definitely understand where Bryn is coming from, from uh, uh, David Bryn's idea about ideas behind the series. Mm -hmm. And do you want to talk about special heroes and the nobility, or do you want to talk about people doing their jobs? So like ideologically, Star Trek is kind of like, oh, here are just people trying to make the world a better place rather mm -hmm. than, uh, you know, but obviously there's reasons why stories about princes and chosen ones and princesses yeah. are very appealing. So now, yeah. Now, yeah. now to bring this full circle back to Return to the Stars. So yeah. when I first started playing role-playing games, obviously mm -hmm. we had Dungeons and Dragons and we played that quite a bit. But I also saw other things on the shelf, and I ended up buying a couple. I bought the Star Trek role-playing game, and I could not get anybody to play it with me because it was so ridiculously complicated. I mean, it was a complicated game to play. Yeah. And then I did not play that computers. enough. I, yeah. I'm with, with you. I think part of the challenge at the time was the game technology wasn't there. I mean, yeah. the 70s, 80s time period, and I think that was around 84 when that came out, the the game was all around, let's simulate this thing. So you're like, yeah. all right, so how does a phaser work? Or how does uh, uh, how do we get to do starship combat? Which is a fun and exciting thing you can game about, but it doesn't really get to the heart of of what a Star Trek episode is about, yeah. right? To me, what the special vibe is. And they sort of overcame that by writing. And there was like one where they revisit the, you know, the devil in the dark and the Horda creature, right? And they try to like bring in those elements. But I think uh, today where we have narrative games, where it's much more about people's strengths and troubles and how those show up in a story and how things complicate people's lives. And it's not about how do we process a certain number of monsters and get <laughs> experience points and get gold so we can level up, which is like very much what gaming was at the time and which is very much not Star Trek. Yeah. 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 So, okay. I mean, now that we're kind of digging back into return to the stars here, like, it help me help me envision the brainstorming process that gets you here. Like, how, where are you reaching into things that you love about RPGs and about fandom to sort of skill crane out the good bits and to kind of sequester <laughs> the, the less good bits? I mean, part of it is uh, so the quote unquote federation in this universe is uh, something that I straight up call the convention. Right. Uh, so, and the basic sort of elevator pitch is 27th century humanity spread through the stars as humanities want to do in space opera. And there's a convention because nerds are going to hang out. We're going to want to tell stories about which was the best uh, reboot of Yuri on Ice, uh, you know, which reboot of uh, Star Wars was the best, was the 29th edition of. Uh, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, a good move or a bad move. So we're hanging out at a planet like that, robots doing all the work, when suddenly the stellar beacon, which allows hyperspace travel, goes silent. And people can't travel anywhere for uh, uh, a good 120 years uh, until all these science-based 
geeks and pop culture enthusiasts figure out a way to start traveling again and need to start reconnecting uh, with the rest of the world. So what does that do for me from a game design perspective? It gives us a way you can incorporate anything you love from pop culture into your character concept because you're coming from a sufficiently advanced society uh, that can geek about out about stuff. So like yeah. one of our first playtesters was like, well, what happens if I was genetically engineered to be uh, my little pony? character right <laughs> okay all right and a security officer and then you get to go to a bunch of other places and have those episodic adventures where you can uh, be from a post-scarcity society that wants to help out mm -hmm. and then another thing that i want to do to get away from some of those sort of very easy tropes about combat is how can you make other things that you want to do awesome so i have a whole hey, you can perform as a game mechanic and cosplay is a skill. And because it's the 27th century, cosplay can be a skill that includes genetic engineering. So right. how do you make other things other than doing combat interesting, like mm -hmm. having a character arc uh, and uh, growing as a person, uh, be something that you have some mechanical uh, uh, activity, and then just laying out the boundaries of, hey, you're coming from a society that celebrates difference. Uh, so you don't have like some civilizing, colonizing mission like you see in a lot of like precursor media of, mm -hmm. you know, they're not you're not going out there trying to convert people to your fandom or to mm -hmm. geeking out about pop culture. But that's who you are. And you're interested in learning from others, people's stories and um, letting them know that travel is possible again. I would have to to think, and again, this is this is me being very niche and very nerdy here. <laughs> that if if you've got a culture that has the luxury through post scarcity to have sort of redeveloped itself around, you know, ancient fandoms, as it were, uh, but then there's this this disaster that temporarily cuts them off in the larger part of the galaxy and then they have to sort of reconnect. I would have to wonder if in the intervening 100, 120 years, when they reconnect with those other cultures, if the communication of genre jargon must sound like Darmok and, 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 and Jalada Tanagra <laughs> sort of to the people they're encountering where they're like, you know, um, thinking of your, your security officer, uh, Brony there to be like, you know, wind sprint and, and, Rainbow Dash at 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 the 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 um, Equestria Ball, you know the dress is torn. <laughs> you know, just, just, like, just to throw it out there, way to pull out some My Little Pony references. Uh, I, I was blank. I had nothing. I I, I don't know. I barely had anything either. If my daughter came downstairs <laughs> right now, she would be humiliated. That. I mean, it was, it was really let down the side. It was bad. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely something that you can play with uh, yeah. and bring in uh, to the stories, the way that people don't uh, necessarily understand where you're coming from. I don't speak um, your geek. Don't yeah. speak your geek. Um, it's a fate-based game, so there's very much uh, where who you are is memorialized with a sort of phrase called an aspect uh, that you can uh, interact with in a way that complicates your life or makes you more awesome. And you get more chances to be awesome the more you make the story interesting by complicating your life. So someone just not getting you 
Yeah. Uh, like I have a friend who's part of my so standard playtest group who has someone who very much is upset their, that their family decided everyone should be hobbit-sized and that no one takes her seriously because she's so small and cute has, and has dagger ears. And that's something that can show up in play as, oh, well, that's just a kid, or I'm not going to take you seriously. Or it could show up as, oh, you're someone who's very badass because you're committed to overcoming people's misperceptions of you. Gotcha. So, all right. Um, I think that the the question I would ask here is: we, we make things because we because we're stoked by our own ideas, and because like we looked out into the world, and maybe the thing we wished had been there for us wasn't there, so we're going to make it for other people. If if somebody was going to run a Return to the Stars game for you, Mark, what do you think? You what character are you rolling up? Oh, that's a really good question. I. Uh, honestly, like I tend to dial back and try to find out what's getting other people excited. And then how can I be the missing piece? Like the thing that's going to stir things up or compliment, like, uh, you know, and then how do I make it original? So, oh, uh, playing D&D, there's no healer. Uh, I'll be the healer, but I'll make sure that the way we narrate my healing spells is something very different. Like I'm a drunk, surly I'm, apostate uh, cleric. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. I'm kind of like, I'm actually just berating you for thinking that boo-boo is hard, <laughs> right? It's like, I'm not actually healing you because you're not hurt. But like, it's that would be the sort of take that I, I would take. I mean, it's it, it very, it, I'm kind of often the forever GM as well. So I don't know. But if I guess, let me turn the question around. If you could be from a post-scarcity culture and mm -hmm. could be adapt your life to sort of celebrate any sort of fandom and then have that be a character that goes out into the world trying to do Star Trek-y type of things and learning and growing and sciencing the heck out of stuff, what might you cho choose as like a... I there was an effort a number of years ago to make an elf quest role-playing game, but I, I believe that it kind of fell in on the, on its own weight. I don't know how well it would work in a post-scarcity space-based thing because elf quest of course is this very, um, you know, high fantasy oriented um, kind of world where, where there, there's not technology. It's, it's, it's fantasy, it's magic, it's all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I would I would totally go that direction. I would I would you know, give me a big ass companion wolf to ride around um, <laughs> and to cuddle up and take naps with. Like I'm I'm gonna do that. Like I'm I'm 100 that that girl. So Patrick. Oh boy, that is so difficult, so difficult because you I know mean, that. I mean, there's like a dozen different character concepts that I would be very happy to play. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, it's similar, similar here. You know, <laughs> um. I don't know. God, that's uh, that's such a difficult question. When you when you open it up, it's like it's it, you know when you say it's it's anything you at all. It it just it makes it so complicated. You know, there's mm -hmm. there's aspects where uh, part of me would would like to play some sort of character in the Doctor Who universe. Mm. I, I'd love to play something in the Star Trek universe. You know, so th th those two things kind of come together. Uh, I I also think it might be fun to play something in the. Uh, in the happy time universe from angel, right? Become oh. a puppet oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and do something there. I mean that there could be a lot of fun. I'm, 
I when I role play almost all the time, I just I want to have fun. And and you talked about you, we briefly talked about the mechanics and mm-hmm. how mechanics have kind of changed over time. Because yeah, in the in the seventies, eighties, and early nineties, it, it was all about the mechanics of of rolling dice and having no stats and this and that. And it's shifted in the last twenty years into mm-hmm. really trying to make it easier for someone to just role play mm-hmm. and it's not about yeah. you know it's it's the conceit and kind of the the complaint about most uh, rpg video games it's like welcome to this open world concept now what i need you to do is go collect ears for me i need 15 <laughs> ears from this creature mm-hmm. yeah and i need a liver from this creature and you know and it's like just go grind and grind and grind and grind and grind to, to level up so uh i like the idea of of it being so open but for me personally also being that open and not giving me some sort of focus it yeah. paralyzes me I, yeah. I, I i get decision paralysis so and then i would and then i would be freaking out the whole time did i pick the right thing oh yeah you know what i mean would yeah. i be having more fun playing something from star trek right now versus battlestar galactica and I think, you know, going to your point earlier, Mark, I think your sensibility about the people you're playing with, like, do you mm. know them well? Yeah. Do you know um, that? I mean, that that always when I'm at, at the table about to start a game with some folks, that has a lot of influence on the choices that I make, because I'm likelier to pick a character who could be more challenging to be around or who could be less of a team player or maybe irreverent in some way. If I'm playing with people who I know well, and I know that they have a tolerance for that and like that, Mm. they're going to, they're going to take it in the spirit in which it's intended and, and trust me to not get in the way of the forward progress of everyone's journey. Like to, to kind of balance that. Whereas if you're sitting down with strangers. Yeah. Yeah. When you have the lawyer sitting at the table, the person Mm -hmm. who knows all the rules, yeah. Uh, they tend to not be that flexible. Not so much. Yeah. And that tends to get, you know, they get frustrated very, very quickly with, with anybody who's, who's loose with, mm-hmm. with the, with the, the playing or the, you know, having, you know, too much, making too many jokes. I, like I'm speaking from experience here, <laughs> you know, when you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, people bring different like goals and agendas to what they're yeah. trying to achieve in a game. And the great news is we're living in a sort of like embarrassment of riches now, where mm-hmm. it's not just a few games that you can get at your local game store or hobby store, right? Yeah. That are that manage to get through distribution. That so many different people are creating all sorts of different games. And if you want to play something about you know, being um, uh, lesbian fighter pilots in the Soviet army um, during World War II, you can go get a copy of Night Witches, which is a game that does that, right? I mean, it, you know, it doesn't have to be, here's the Star Trek game, the Star Wars yeah. game, right. and the D&D game, and that's what's going to be on the shelf. You can go to Itch or drive through and find anything. Yeah. So, I mean, I... I ask because I'm curious, not because I'm interested in making Mark's life more difficult, but <laughs> I, I'm really interested given that you, you're overtly situating Return to the Stars within the larger universe of fandom, mm-hmm. which includes so many different potential IPs and so many potential different touches there. How, from a writing and game design standpoint, do you 
create that availability for your players in the core materials that you've written without basically putting a target on yourself to say, do you have a lawyer? Did you ever make an IP? I would like for you to like how that's how does a that really work? good question. So, like the way that works is, I don't touch it with a ten foot pole, right? <laughs> you come from a society uh, that um, that 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 uh, celebrates all of these things. Right. But these specific examples that are sort of like given in the rule book aren't there. Plus, most of the adventures, like the fun comes from you come from a post scarce society. And sometimes you can have that sort of like lyrical slice of life, shore leave moments where you go back there. But mm-hmm. most of your life is going out to uh, other places that mm-hmm. aren't that society, right? Right. That have been separated, that might have been isolated on their own even before this traumatic event that separated. So yeah. you're going out. So when I am writing an adventure or when someone's writing a, an adventure, it's very typically like, all right, well, you're going to the planet of the theater nerds or you're going to uh, a planet that has uh, created a very AIs are going to organize our society and other people are resisting that, right? Okay. So those places that you're having the adventures are typically not at home. Mm-hmm. And when I've I've definitely done things where you might want to uh, uh, look at uh, like some of the challenges within fandom, mm-hmm. but then it's very much, all right, all right, here's the challenge around people who don't want to be bothered with connecting with the rest of the universe and are very sort of narcissistically involved in a sort of holographic VR. And how are they sort of resisting this? So I don't talk about specific fandoms or put them in there because the fact of the matter, it's totally fair use. If I'm at a table and I want to create something, my little pony. If you want to create a sentient pony that, you know, talks and uses human tools, then that's not specifically anything, is it? (laughs) Yeah, that's not anything. And then, but uh, that's not what I am going to... Uh, to bring into the world because I don't want to step on other people's um, toes. I don't want to leverage or take advantage of the work that they've done. Mm-hmm. But I think remix culture, remix culture, we all have the right when we're hanging out with our friends to mm-hmm. bring in and remix the stuff uh, that way I love. So that's how mm-hmm. I personally navigate it. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I get the feeling that Tracy feels that uh, that we're living in a demolition man universe where there's a there's a thing on the wall that's listening to us and every time we are using somebody <laughs> else's intellectual property, you know, a little ticket comes out. Oh no, I it's not so, <laughs> I mean, let well, let me put this into perspective for you. I don't know if I've ever told this story on the pod before. Um, but I, I think do I think that that um, every possible reference that we make to to different ips and stuff is being monitored somewhere no unless you're talking about disney in which case i do fucking believe that <laughs> like i 100 yeah. percent believe that the house of mouse has has ears everywhere um but my my thinking there um is partly derived from an actual experience that i had a couple of years ago um so the students at the school where I teach have um, a an environmentalism club because, you know, that's what you do when you live in the increasingly burning wasteland of our planet. You have an environmentalism club and you try and tell people to wake the hell up and fix stuff. Um, the name of the club was the Lorax. Ah. Um, 
About three years into the club's existence, we received a cease and desist notice from the estate of Theodore Geisel on behalf of his wife, who was still alive at the time. Uh, She actually may still be alive now. Um, That said that if we did not remove all materials posted to the internet about uh, the student club and all things that are referenced to the Lorax and change the names of the club, that we would be taken to suit. Um, You have to understand that this is a student club at a high school with 650 kids in it. Oh, dear. It made no money that it kept. It did fundraising activities and gave stuff to different organizations and things. Um, or, or it would raise money and it would buy a bunch of saplings and plant them around campus or do things like that. Like, that was the kind of stuff it was doing. And so the reality is that there are some people out there who are who are Googling furiously um, at any given time. Are they as populous as all that? Probably not. Not not on I, the demolition man level. I, I, but yeah. I would I would uh, I think that that's terrible. Mm-hmm. I would throw out there that if so so copyright and trademark are mm-hmm. are interesting things. They are uh, you, to to go back to Star Trek for a second. There was a lot of Star Trek the original series fan fiction out there that that Paramount and Viacom never went after. Mm-hmm. And so by the time the next generation, I believe it was the next generation was came around, they wanted to stop mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that was happening. And so they were trying they were attempting to enforce their copyright and their trademark against the next generation stuff and was basically told by a court that because they had let the TOS stuff go for so long that they had no no footing mm-hmm. to go after that. So they 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 started from there forward trying to enforce their their legal rights and I'm using air quotes yeah uh, to 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 shut down anything that they didn't like so that's why you know we had so many lawsuits as the, as the YouTube age came up and people were doing fan videos and fan series and you know and it, it had to be not for profit you you could not make a profit from it and then you had something like oh and i'm 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 blanking on the name of the the thing there was a started with an a there was a, a fan-made film or series that looked at that like the war in, in the federation and the special effects and everything was better than anything you'd seen come out of Paramount or Viacom in a really, really long time. And they lost their shit and they, they shut it down as hard as they could. I think it still is getting released. If it hasn't been released, it may have been Axanar, I think is what it was called. Okay. But, but they had a hard time because for so long, TOS stuff, they had not gone after. So I'm just saying this and, and kind of framing this in a, in a reference of it's all or nothing. They either have to go after everyone and 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 try to shut everything down, or when something comes along later, they can't fight it because they never went after the school that was using the the I name. I think the twenty first century point of view may may more have become that to go after fandom is to bite the fan, hand that feeds you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm not necessarily persuaded because trademark right is about your intellectual property but it's also about 
society's interest, right? That's why yeah. it's so that you can, you're not deceived into getting the wrong product. And I think the test, right, is would a moron in a hurry be uh, confused by this? Is which is like literally, <laughs> I believe the term of art here, right? And there's no no one, uh, regardless of their intellectual cap capacities and how fast they're moving, is going to confuse a Lorax school club with a book. Right. I, right. I'm sorry, that's just right. not going to happen. But the, now, the fact is... of the matter is, is a small little school going to be able to contest that? Are you going to do anything when you get yeah. this? Well, the answer is that the club still like, exists, and now yeah. it's called Club Verno. <laughs> so that's your answer. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, again, if they yeah. don't go after the, the little club that wouldn't be confused, mm -hmm. when the, something comes up that would be confusing or w they have no ground to, to stand on to go after them because they never went after the club. That's that's the logic yeah. there. That's the logic yeah. that exists. And it's if we, if know, we want to fight the big pirates, we have exactly. to fight the tiny ones. And yeah. The and, and now when you look at YouTube, there's so much stuff out there that can confuse people into thinking that this is like, there's tons of fan-made trailers for things that don't exist, right? Mm -hmm. That look fantastic. It, it, you know, uh, spoilers for The Mandalorian. <laughs> when <laughs> when Mandalorian season two ended, they, they did a thing at the end and there was a guy on the internet or a person on the internet, I should say, because I don't know gender, but there's a person on the internet who did a better deep fake than fucking Lucas and Disney mm -hmm. did. Oh, of the same character and mm. they're sitting there and they're embarrassed mm -hmm. now, to their credit. What they did was they hired that person. Oh, okay. That's what <laughs> my, yeah. <laughs> went out and said, well, fuck this shit. We're hiring them. And they hired them. And that's why now in, in uh, the Mandalorian season 2.5, which just ended also, on Disney also Plus, known as, as the book of Boba Fett. Yes. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Anyway, uh, on that Dances one, with Tuscan Raiders. <laughs> the deep fake there looks so much better because now they're using this other person's technology and techniques, which are you know so much better. But that's just the point. It's like there are people sitting at home doing shit that looks better than what the studios are putting out. And that's where the confusion comes. Anyway, so, so, so that was I, just I want like, to turn this thing around to yeah. a positive because yeah. I feel like I, I feel guilty. I feel like I took us to it a is all your place. Fault. I feel like it I is. killed it. No, I did. Yeah. And then and then in fact, <laughs> um I, I tender my resignation from the podcast <laughs> heretofore. Um so which which is good because it means that we're shaking up the format and then there'll have to be a different opening for the second uh, one we're recording. Yeah. And uh -huh. yeah, see, see, this is how we're coming full circle. We're giving the people what they didn't know they wanted. Um so let's let's imagine it, going back, I'm thinking back to what Patrick was saying before, Mark, about the embarrassment of riches that surrounds us in the world of, of SFF now and, and fandoms and things. If somebody were going to do a critical role style treatment of Return to the Stars, mm -hmm. cast for me some of the people you would love to have like playing Return to the Stars. Like, Dreamcast. Like, not necessarily what they're playing, but like, it would be so cool if like, so, yeah. so so honestly, it's uh, to my mind, it's, it's not necessarily about the casting. It's kind of about the attitude. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, Return to the Stars is very, very hope puck. Mm -hmm. So, if I were to, you know, want someone at the table, it'd be uh, someone like uh, uh, Alex Rowland, 
who you know came up with the term hopak sure. or say becky chambers who also mm -hmm. games but who has sort of embraced the term even if it mm -hmm. wasn't something that was like uh yeah. instrumental in bringing wayfarers there so some of that energy Sure. Uh, would be good. Uh, the next person probably is not even aware of genre, but another huge theme uh, for me is uh, uh, cosmopolitanism. Okay. It's like suffused in the game. So I would want, if somehow I could recruit and explain what this was, uh, Kwame Athenhepea who's a uh, yeah. philosopher who's written kind of like the textbook philosophy uh, text on cosmopolitanism and whose last book, you know, The Ethics of Identity just came out. So, um, you know, I, it'd be more like, how can I tie this person to the, a theme? Uh, and then, you know, I want Matt Mercer there just because, like, then bring along 48,000 critters and I would sell out on games. So, <laughs> you know, like, purely mercenary. But it would be, like, what are they passionate about these themes that are going to appear in these stories? Uh, so probably another some someone within that sort of science the heck out of things type of thing. Maybe a okay. vlogger who works on that. That's where I would go. Thank you for the question. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, I'm feeling I'm feeling like we got time for picks of the week here, and and since we're we're in our squee, I think is it time? Is it time? It is. Picks of the week. Patrick, what you feeling like? So, in, keeping in the in the theme of the show, I I've been talking about this online quite a bit, and but I haven't done it as a pick yet. And it's it's a net it's the Netflix series Arcane League of Legends. I have never played that game, but I, 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 watching the trailers, I thought this was an interesting show, but I put it off for a while. And then I didn't even realize it had dropped last year. At the end of the year, it had dropped on Netflix. Mm -hmm. And I started watching it. I was blown away. I was blown away. I mean, it's a really good, compelling story in a couple of different arcs. You know, you, you have the, the main characters as, as, kids and then you have them as young adults uh, mm -hmm. later as after some stuff has happened there's like a little time jump and i i was just blown away i was blown away by the storytelling the characters uh the the actors and actresses playing the characters again this this blew my mind tracy uh this is another uh, oh i'm gonna Haley from hawkeye Haley oh, stanfield Haley. stanfield i can't remember yeah, from m or I, n yeah playing Vi, the, one of the main characters. And uh, again, blown away. I mean, this, the, the, the word that keeps coming up as I, as I try to explain this show to people is that it's just epic. It really, really is. It's so well done animation-wise. It's, it's a great story. Apparently, you don't have to know anything about the game to mm -hmm. enjoy this show. So if you're, if you're completely unfamiliar with it, but you're just looking for something truly epic and, and RPG-ish, this is a great show. Uh, it, it's got uh, kind of like technology and magic together, and, and you've got the, the upper world and the lower world, and, and mm -hmm. people are fighting against each other, and you have classism and all this stuff going on. But really, it drills down to like this relationship between these two sisters. Mm-hmm. And it's it's amazing. It's it's such a good show. I cannot stop talking about it. I keep telling people you have to go watch this. And they're doing a season two. Uh, 
So there is going to be another season of the show coming. And uh, again, whether you know anything about the the game or not, this is an awesome show. It's epic. Please go watch it. Arcane League of Legends on Netflix. That seems amazing. It is so cool. cool. Mark, how about you? Okay, this is going to seem a bit of a stretch, but I'll bring it home at the end and explain (laughs) why it's interesting for for a genre uh, podcast. We trust you. Okay. So uh, just at Sundance, there was this amazing documentary called Midwives. And it follows a midwife uh, and her apprentice uh, in uh, Myanmar uh, in the north where there's been disastrous ethnic cleansing and uh, uh, conflict with the Rohingya community and sort of tension between Buddhist and Muslim communities. Uh, And it's uh, the documentary filmmaker, like literally is from the area, went back and was sort of embedded following uh, the story uh, for five years. And Mm -hmm. it's about this uh, Buddhist midwife and her Muslim uh, 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 apprentice who are sort of navigating this. And the filmmaker herself felt that uh, this was going to be like a dystopian nightmare because it's murder and ethnic cleansing and all these things going on, but they're struggling to provide basically the only medical care that's available in these remote communities and navigating uh, um, language barriers and the way that people are like blaming uh, the sort of uh, Buddhist uh, 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 midwife teacher about even providing care and mm-hmm. sort of like uh, alienating her uh, from the, that sort of community and the way they're sort of resisting uh, these things and uh, figuring out uh, how to help each other and how to help both of their communities and to bring these ties together. And literally it's the most hope punk thing I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. And it like grabs you from your the throat uh, from the first moment. So if you want to see people uh, choosing uh, to care for each other and choosing to make a difference while the world is exploding around them, uh, this is an amazing uh, documentary about that doesn't idealize these people, but brings you into this world. Uh, and if maybe you're someone who hasn't understood how something could be both edgy and punk and full of hope, uh, this would be something that I'd recommend. And it was uh, it earned a Grand Jury Award at Sundance in the documentary category, and it was picked up by Point of View. Uh, so mm-hmm. if you're in the U.S., uh, it'll be on your PBS uh, station and Point of View at some point in the future, and it is not to be missed. I will go see maybe... 60 films a year and this is easily one of the best things i've seen nice wow that is that's a hell of a recommendation yeah all right folks so after these two glowing powerful moving (laughs) life-changing recommendations prepare to lower your expectations um (laughs) because i'm about to take the iq of this entire podcast down so far um but you know what that's my job ordinarily yeah but again (laughs) changing up the format as promised so um last night the husbeast and i were were sitting around decompressing from the week and 
uh, he showed me something because he's he's the king of showing me funny things on the internet that I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this is real. And I spent an embarrassingly large percentage of my evening on this YouTube channel, which I have just discovered. It's called Tico and the Man Frank Maglio. And the whole gig behind this is Frank Maglio, who is a human, is very good at playing the guitar. And he likes to, to play classic rock tunes. He has a 20-year-old parrot named Tico. Tico loves it when dad plays classic rock tunes and will sing with him. But the thing is, a 20-year-old parrot don't give a fuck about how the song is actually supposed to go. He just does whatever. And it is I, I, the specifically the uh, immigrant song, uh, Led, Led Zeppelin cover that they did, broke me uh, because there are a number of places where there are like a dramatic pause in, in the lead guitar line, which he's playing. And the parrot will pause and then he comes back and, like, and it's, it's like, I'm sure that that's going to edit great into the podcast too. So if you could possibly amplify my efforts to parrot there, that'd be great. I'd appreciate it. Um, but yeah, it's like this, basically the, the, I think that what happened is they've taken Robert Plant and put him inside of a parrot and just sort of set him loose on stuff. And it has no resemblance. The vocals have no resemblance whatsoever to the original core material. I've listened to the Horse With No Name cover and I've listened to uh, Where the Streets Have No Name cover. Lots of no name things happening there. Um, and they're all hilarious because you think to yourself like, OK, this is this is yielded as much amusement for me as it possibly can. And then the parrot does the next thing. And the best part about it is the guy is always way in the background with his, with his guitar. Like it is absolutely not about him. He is just the background player to Tico, who is the star. <laughs> and Tico's just going off, like wandering around in and out of shot on the camera, just sort of walking around in a kitchen counter going off so if you if if the idea of of resistance in the face of of gloom is your brand this week but maybe you need it in the stupidest way possible probably you should spend about 10 minutes of your life checking out tico and the man frank maglio on youtube nice that's essential culture it is it really is so, all right. So we've been talking a lot about your game. We've been talking a lot about um, all the things that we do when we make the characters we love and we find groups to play together. But none of this is going to be of any use to our peoples unless they know where to find your stuff. So, Mark, where can people go? What can people do? Uh, so my website is festive.ninja, and that will link to the game. Or you could just go and uh, to itch.io and uh, search for Return to the Stars there. Uh, and uh, you can find me uh, at Twitter at Mark underscore Sab, S-A-B. All right. You decided not much. to do the whole name? I, that, well, that's what my coworkers <laughs> call me, right? I mean, it's like, yeah. we're not going to try to pronounce Sabalowska. So, like, <laughs> all right, Mark Sab. Totally right. distinguishes me from all the other Marks. So, <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> thanks, Mark. All right. Thanks so much. And just like that. It's February, and time for yet another new bumper. Giles and Michelle over at Beyond the Trope should be scratching their ears and wondering who's been talking about them. It's me, by the way. I've been talking them up here and other places like Capricorn. Why? Because they have a pretty nifty podcast. They talk to authors and artists just like we do, and release episodes on Tuesdays, just like we do. So... If you subscribe to both our podcasts, it's like 
getting a double feature every week. And who doesn't love a double feature? Aliens bent on domination. That's who. Don't be like aliens bent on domination who hate double features. Visit beyondthetrope.com today and subscribe. In other news, as previously mentioned, Tracy and I had a lot of fun at Capricorn 42, especially spending time with a couple of our patrons, Todd and Jason. Neither brought me a cannoli, but neither did Cannoli Joe, though he does get credit for walking with me in the snow to a place where I could get a cannoli. Both Todd and Jason also tend to join us for our monthly hangouts, which you could also do if you were a patron. Those hangouts are a lot of fun, and we tend to talk about extra nerdy things. It's as close to the green room for the show as you can get without, you know, actually being in the green room. We also have a Facebook page where patrons talk. There's stuff. So check out patreon.com slash functional nerds for more information about becoming a backer. Next up for us is probably ShyCon, the Worldcon in September in Chicago, but we'll talk about that later. What I want to know right now, do you spell cannoli with one N or two? Mr. Carpiers, you got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. <laughs> okay. That's probably a good enough signal. <laughs>